You're listening to a podcast from 702. Food feature. Well, it's time for us to uh, look at how that dried meat delicacy that we've come to love over the years, how you can make it at home. Of course, uh, lots of people have experienced, no doubt, have attempted this because uh, the Biltong box is quite affordable, about 350 uh, if you're going to attempt making it at home. But there are also a lot of uh, um, other aspects to this uh, hobby or uh, this adventure if you want to get it right. And that's why we've invited Caroline McCann. And um, she is... Uh, part of um, uh, Brayside Butcher. She is also Slow Food International Counselor and she joins us now. Caroline, thank you so much for your time. Hello. Hi, so lovely to speak to you, especially about my favorite snack. <laughs> it's also my favorite <laughs> snack. I actually have some in my bag. <laughs> One of those people that I've got to have never too far so that you can just rummage in the bag and just have a mouthful while you drive. And, you know, you just need a little bit of a boost, a little bit of a snack, a little bit of that salty. Absolutely. Yeah, something salty to push you through the afternoon. <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure. Absolutely <laughs> guilty pleasure. Um, so... Uh, have you tried to make in the past? I assume so. Yes. Mm. Very, very, very many kilos. So Brayside Butchery, we using our free-range grass-fed meat, we had produced between one and one and a half thousand kilos oh, a wow. week. So, yes. Uh, when it comes to making a trial and error, mm. we certainly learned a lot along the way. Yes. I mean, I was surprised to see that uh, you need to soak it at first because, you know, I just thought this is a way of preserving meat. At the heart of it, it's a way of preserving this meat so that you still have it uh, uh, for another day, for instance, when you think of all the other things that our ancestors used to have to uh, keep for long. This is one way of also ensuring that you have a meat supply. But just the process to ensuring that you are preserving it correctly and drying it correctly um, is, is, is an interesting one. Is this where the trial and error has been most of the time? It certainly has, and in fact, even more so for me personally in the last two years. Yeah. Um, if if you go and, um, as I have been very fortunate to do, and travel around Africa in particular, and you start asking about traditional methods of preserving meat, biltong, as we call it, actually is a drying of meat that's been used for millennia, especially on the African continent. And so if you know anyone, for example, from Bender and ask them about meat, they don't know it as biltong. They know it as something else, which mm. is the strips of meat, very thin, that would be left outside to dry. And so biltong has many, many forms. But what, mm. what I think you and I both mean by biltong is that, um, as you were saying just now, that slightly salty, slightly sweet, slightly anxious taste that comes from something that's seasoned and dried. Yes. So how do we do it? First, let's start with the cut of meat. How important is your choice of cut of meat for success? So I'm a complete purist, and I believe that biltong is only biltong if there's a little bit of fat on it. Ah! And also <laughs> and also that it's really important that you choose um, a cut of meat that uh, ensures that you don't cut your biltong with the grain. So just like a steak, as any, if you think about it, we don't want to cut our steaks with the grain because then it's very tough and chewy. Yes. Same with the biltong. The next is you have to use silverside. It is the perfect muscle. It's a hard-working muscle, so it's fairly lean in the, in the main part and just enough fat on the outside to give biltong 
what I say is the white meat part of it, that delicious fat. Mm-hmm. So is there another function for that fat or is it just down to the taste? It doesn't really change so, what you're going to get in the yeah. end. Well, the, the, you know, the nice thing with fat is, uh, besides from the fact that it tastes delicious, is that it also acts as partial uh, preservation of the meat that lies directly underneath it. So if we think of biltong, there's a couple of key elements that we've got to be aware of. Mm-hmm. One is we actually do want to practice some hygiene, um, and for that it means pickling the meat. Um, so ordinarily, if you read recipes, the best recipe will either say one cup of vinegar mm. or one cup of Worcester sauce or my favorite, half a cup of vinegar, half a cup of Worcester sauce. And that pickle method, together with the fact, will help ensure that you don't have a, a bacterial uh, buildup on the meat and, and therefore have a spoiled built on. Ah, right. Um, and that uh, yellow fat, uh, that heel mm. fat, the yellow fat mm. that you sometimes see on some pieces, and sometimes the fat isn't as yellow uh, um, on other pieces. What could that? What, what does that do to? Is it about so the picking? That's actually directly related to the age and the production method of the cow. So free-range grass-fed animals have uh, much more yellow fat um, than, or yellow in their fat, I should say, than feedlot animals. So if you look at some of our larger feedlots like Karen Beef or uh, Beef Master or Sparta, they use a feedlot system and the fat is always white. So mm-hmm. even with the most amount of pickling, it's never going to change color. However, if you choose a brayside um, bit of biltong, even on our you would see that distinct yellowing creaminess and that's because the animals are on a grass diet and also it's to do with age and older animals generally will tend to go more yellow in its fat right oh such interesting insights um so we now know what it's due to so apart from the silver side what other cuts do you think make for good quality built on so a lot of butchers will use one of three cuts. They will use silver side, and you know, as I explained, the, the best part about silver side is it's easy to see which way the uh, the muscle is running and the grain of the meat is, so you can cut it correctly. Right. The next is top side, which is quite a dense, um, hard working muscle, um, and again, what that does is that it helps. The, the meat stays firm and it's drying and doesn't create air pockets. Mm-hmm. And the last is thick flank, which actually most butchers use for their snap sticks. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I travel, I like to have snap sticks and throw Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got so, so mad. There's a supplier who used to, who had this um, uh, dry horse that they said was made out of Wagyu. And Wagyu beef, and it was just so, the fat was delicious, the the meat itself was so soft, and it was just, it's just so sublime. But now it's, I can't find it anywhere, cannot find it anywhere, so. Um, well, you need to, you need to get to Impala Butchery in Northcliffe, they mm-hmm. have an incredible range of, of Wagyu dry horse and biltong, and they also have Brayside biltong and dry horse. But there was one other little secret to biltong. When I say biltong, Zania, I just know that you and your listeners immediately start thinking of coriander. Yes, yeah. Because that's the defining flavor, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anyone's going to go and, and have a weekend project on biltong, the recipe must include coriander, should have a little bit of cloves and nutmeg, and the secret ingredient, garlic salt. Oh, right. 
so that's the combination to pound it uh, and not too much right because we know that with the whole spices with with the whole spice you ground it's just enough to release the oils to release the the flavors but not too fine absolutely and so so a good ratio would be half a cup of brown vinegar half a cup of Worcester sauce a tablespoon of uh, coriander seeds and then just two teaspoons of your nutmeg your cloves um, and one one generous teaspoon of your garlic salt. Rub that on, let the meat marinate, and you will thank me for it on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and then the bogs. Uh, this is something that hobbyists, of course, invest in if you want to make biltong at home, getting the box so that you can keep all those hokies out uh, and allow for a hygienic, as you said, a safe process to, to take place. Um, but are there other alternatives? They absolutely are. And uh, again, if we can think back to our grannies, um, and in fact, I still see it in Zimbabwe when, I, when I'm fortunate enough to travel there. There was always that special area where it was just underneath the tree. The, the wind would always perfectly massage the, the base of the tree and circulate nicely. And really, those are the principles that you want to replicate at home. You want to make sure that it's in an area where there is good airflow. Uh, because obviously we're trying to dehydrate the meat. And the second is that we want to put it in an area where we know, and in a way that we know that, that insects won't um, compete for, for eating the biltong. Mm. And a good rule of thumb is if you've got a kitchen cupboard, uh, is to take your kitchen cupboard, cut a little section out where you put some wire gauze, and you can take a good old home phone, um, a home fan or a computer fan, put it on top, and that will be sufficient. It'll give you airflow. It'll keep all the hookies out and give you a chance to have delicious biltong. Right. And is there uh, something we need to do? I'm just thinking about this drying process to kind of slow it down. Because if it, when it gets too dry, yes, there's a lot more work involved and it's different from the flavors you're able to pick up in the meat when it's still wet or when it's still medium. So are there changes, are there things that we could do to kind of slow down that drying? Well, the starting point is to to be very honest with yourself and, and ask the question, how do I like my steak done? Mm-hmm. And if you're someone who enjoys a well-done steak, then you're going to like a more dry biltong, in which case you want to cut your raw meat a lot thinner. But if you like me and you like to have that delicious medium rare with mm-hmm. just all those delicious oozing bits of juice in your steak, then you want to cut it thicker. And a rule of thumb is to make sure that your slices then are t- the the um, thickness of two of your fingers, and that will ensure that it doesn't dry too quickly, but will give you that medium redness in biltong. Yes. And what about uh, um, drying other types of meat? Uh, this has caught on, of course, over the years. We've seen things like uh, bacon or pork being dried in a similar kind of way. Um, so would this process be the same? It certainly is, but the starting point is to understand that your um, inhibitor for bacteria is that pickle. So mm-hmm. even, you know, I, I don't personally eat it, but it's a choice thing. Your chicken biltong that you see, mm-hmm. it starts with a pickle. One of the things with chicken, as we know, is that it reacts. It's, it's almost like a ceviche um, reaction when it hits something that's high oh, and acidic. Yes. Um, and so effectively, your pickle is the starting point. Bacon Pickle is your starting point. And actually, my favorite obsession, and it's so bad, all 10 kilos extra of meat can attest to this, is delicious, sticky 
bacon biltong. It's become my, my go-to snack. Sticky. <laughs> it sounds delicious, but I don't eat pork, Caroline. <laughs> oh, so it's sticky. It's okay. I'll, I'll eat your portion. <laughs> How do you get it to be sticky? So the the uh, easiest method is, if you want the cheat method, get a very good quality bacon uh, from a from a brand that you trust. Mm-hmm. Dehydrate it um, in individual pieces. The quickest, easiest is in an oven where it's turned on so that the fan mm-hmm. itself is on, but no heat. Uh, and once it goes dry, it goes quite quite crispy. And you brush it with a little bit of um, honey that you put a bit of soy sauce in and just the smallest little dash of um, of ginger and garlic. And you brush that on. It's delicious. You'll thank me for that. Right. Someone says, you two are going to die from cholesterol overload. <laughs> Try mushroom biltong for healthier, less cruel uh, uh, option. This is what one WhatsApp says. Uh, so, have you have you adventured into that terrain of uh, mushroom biltong? I actually have, but I've I've also been playing around, thanks to my very good friend Anna Trapedo, mm. with a, a very old, ancient um, snack, which uh, predates colonization even, where stone fruit is taken and preserved in in uh, salt. Yes, and so the best thing that I can call it is peach biltong, but it isn't. It is just delicious. Mm. And so basically that's the principle of biltong. It's something that's been pickled uh, mm-hmm. and it's something that's been dried. Mm, mm. Oh, um, during the news, I think I'm just going to quickly have a mouthful of uh, the the paper thin slices that I have in my bag because you've oh, made me I'm salivate. <laughs> yeah, you've made me salivate. <laughs> Caroline, thank you so much. Always lovely chatting to you. Yes. Go eat well. Thank you. That's Caroline McCann, uh, and she's part of the Slow Food International. She's a counselor with the Slow with, with Slow Food International, and of course, she's a butcher behind a uh, uh, Brayside Butchery. And as she said, Impala Butchery also has that delicious wagyu, uh, just moist and lovely dry horse. So um, that was our segment looking at biltong, knowing that uh, it's become an industry that's worth a hundred million. Uh, euros locally. This was uh, news that came out in the middle of last year when uh, questions about the trademark, to trademark the term in the hopes of boosting profits had come up and uh, this was growing in the market, even the, the biltong market and opportunities are growing in the rest of the world.